the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. For the Christian, the loss of our life is but a small thing. Because Jesus, the living Christ, has given to us eternal life. And one day we can live with him forever. That's Pastor Mark Finley, and this is Hope Lives 365. At Hope Lives 365, we believe God answers prayer. Keep in mind this telephone number throughout today's broadcast, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE. Here's Pastor Mark. Let's pray together as we open God's Word. My topic today is ISIS, Armageddon, and end-time events. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that as we open your word, as we do some very serious Bible study this morning, that you do much more than fill our heads with facts, but you'd fill our hearts with a new commitment to Jesus. May that reality take place in each of our lives, where we need to make changes, speak to us, move upon our hearts, help this not to be a common, ordinary meeting, but may the Spirit of God come down, and may we be touched here. We pray thee in Christ's name. Amen. As you've watched the news of the horrible tragedies that have been taking place in the Middle East, particularly in Iraq and Syria with ISIS, have you wondered about the meaning of those events in the Middle East? Have you asked yourself the question, what does this all mean in the light of the prophetic scenario? ISIS has moved very swiftly across Iraq and Syria, in fact, so swiftly that it has surprised Western observers, certainly has surprised the American government. We just weren't prepared for what's happened. Tens of thousands are now held in the grip of ISIS, cities that once were under Iraqi domination, cities like Mosul to Crete, have fallen to the grip of ISIS. And ISIS stated intention in their literature, on their web pages, on their YouTube videos, is to establish something called a caliphate. Now, if you're not familiar with Islamic terms, you may wonder, what is a caliphate? A caliphate is a society based on Islamic law. You see, in the ISIS mentality, any society based on any other law is an illegitimate society. Any government based on any other form of government, whether that be democracy, whether it be dictatorship, whether it be socialism, that is illegitimate. The only righteous government, according to the ISIS theology, is a government based on caliphate, which is a government based on Islamic law. We in the West have become familiar with scenes like Jihadi John. This Kuwaiti-born Londoner speaking with a British accent who has slain so many journalists. We have seen him in his black suit, and we've seen these journalists dressed in their orange jumpsuits, and we've seen the knife at their throat as they have been executed. 
probably one of the more horrible executions that has taken place recently is an execution in Libya of 21 Christians on one scene as they have knelt on the shores of the Mediterranean and as their throats have been slit and they've been killed. In December of 2014, the New York Times published confidential comments by Major General Michael K. Nagata. He is the special operations commander for the United States in the Middle East. Now, he said, we have hardly begun to figure out the Islamic State's appeal. And then he made this interesting comment. He says, we have not defeated the idea of ISIS. We don't even understand the idea. What is it that motivates ISIS? Why is it that tens of thousands of young people from throughout the Middle East have joined that cause? And why is it that hundreds of young people from the United States and the West have joined that cause? Thousands of new recruits are joining this religious holy war every single month. What motivates them? What is actually behind ISIS movement? What thought process guides its leaders? And is there more than meets the eye here? Recently, Graham Wood, who's a reputed journalist, wrote an insightful article in the Atlantic Monthly. And it gives us a real fresh perspective on the ISIS movement and helps us to understand them. And this is what Graham Wood said. He said, the Islamic State is no mere collection of psychopaths. It is a religious group with carefully considered beliefs, among them that it, ISIS, is a key agent of the coming apocalypse. Now, when I read that, it caught my attention. ISIS, a key agent of the coming apocalypse? Now, the word apocalypse simply means the end of the world. What is ISIS mentality? How does it see itself as a key agent of the coming end of the world? What is its thinking process, and how does this fit in to the larger prophetic scenario of the book of Revelation? Now, nearly all of the Islamic State's decisions adhere to what it calls, and this is on its billboards, its license plates, and its coins. They call it the prophetic methodology. And here is what ISIS believes. ISIS staunchly believes that they have a role to play in ushering in the coming of a new messianic kingdom. Why is it that those 21 Christians were slain on the banks of the Mediterranean, and their blood was allowed to go into the Mediterranean right across from Rome in Libya. Why is it that ISIS magazine is called Dabik, D-A-B-I-Q? Here's why. The ISIS followers in this brand of Islam believes that the final battle between good and evil will be fought in a Syrian city called Dabik. They believe that the armies of the West will be led by the Pope of Rome. This is their theology. And they believe that the Pope of Rome and his armies will come down across Europe to Dabik. They believe that the armies of Rome are the infidels, that they have to be slain at any cost to establish the new messianic kingdom. They believe that when the armies of Rome get to Dabik, that the forces of righteousness under ISIS will meet there, that the armies of Rome will apparently succeed and they will slay all of the ISIS forces except 5,000, that these 5,000 ISIS will be driven back to Jerusalem and there Mahdi will appear. Mahdi is the Messiah, the Redeemer. 
and Mahati, the Messiah, will come. He will lead the armies of ISIS to defeat all of the infidels. Righteousness will shine through the world, and the glorious kingdom of Islam will reign through the entire world. That's what they believe. That's what drives them. That's what motivates hundreds and thousands of young people to join the cause. Because they believe that they are joining a righteous cause that will slay all infidels and that righteousness and peace will reign under the Islamic cause. How does this all fit in to the book of Revelation? Let's take our Bibles. We're going to do some serious Bible study. And we're going to look at ISIS, Armageddon, Earth's last war, and you and me and how we fit into that. First, we're going to look at seven key facts about end-time events. Seven key facts about end-time events. Fact number one, Revelation does discuss a final conflict between the forces of good and the forces of evil. Revelation chapter 12, we'll look at three passages in the book of Revelation. Fact number one, truth and error at times are very, very close. Revelation does discuss a final conflict between the force of good and the force of evil. Certainly not the prophetic scenario that ISIS describes, but it does describe that final conflict. Fact number one, Revelation 12, verse 17. And the dragon, who's the dragon, everybody? Who is that? Satan was enraged. What's enraged mean? Angry with the woman, the church, and went to make war with the rest of her offspring or the remnant, which keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. So Revelation clearly outlines there will be a final conflict between the force of good and the force of evil, that the devil and the forces of hell will be marshaled against faithful believers of God. Revelation chapter 17, three passages on this final war. Revelation chapter 17, verse 12 and onward. And the ten horns, that are the ten united kingdoms at end time, which you saw are ten kings that receive no kingdom as yet. I'm reading from Revelation 17, verse 12. But they receive authority for one hour, a short period of time, with the beast. So the beast, the religious powers of the earth, are united with the political powers, verse 12. These are of one mind. So the political powers, the economic powers, the religious powers are united with one mind. They will give their power and authority to the beast. Verse 14, they will, notice this expression again, make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. Those that are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So again, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, you have this expression, make war. Revelation chapter 17, verse 14, this expression, make war. Again, you have these two opposing forces, the forces of righteousness, the forces of evil. So Revelation chapter 19. Now notice the language in Revelation 12, Revelation 17, and Revelation 19 is the same. Revelation 19, verse 11. I saw heaven opened. Behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. We'll study this more as we go on. But here is fact number one in the book of Revelation. It jumps out at you in three dimensions. There will be a final conflict between righteousness 
and wickedness, a final conflict between good and evil. And Christ is the victor in that conflict. That's incredibly good news, isn't it? The incredible good news is that in the book of Revelation, it's not all about beasts. It's not all about mystic symbols. It's not all about dragons. It's about a final war between good and evil, and Christ will triumph in that war. Fact number two, the central issue in the final conflict is worship. Now, fact number one, there will be a final war between good and evil. Fact number two, the central issue in this final conflict is worship. Let's look at our Bibles. And Revelation 14, verse 7. Revelation 14, verse 7. We're laying out the broad strokes. Revelation 14, verse 7. Notice what it says. Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made what? Heaven, earth, and the sea, and the fountains of waters. So in Revelation 14, 7, you have true worship. Revelation 14, 9, you have false worship. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships what? The beast. So Revelation 14, 7 says, Worship the Creator. Revelation 14, 9 says, Do not worship the beast. Revelation 14, verse 12 says what? Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now follow me closely. Those that worship the Creator are those that keep the commandments of what? God and do not worship the beast. So two facts we've studied so far. Fact number one, there will be a universal conflict at the time of the end. This is not a political conflict. Fact number two, it is a conflict over true and false what? Worship. One group worships the Creator and the other group worships the beast. Now, fact number three, this will not be something done in a corner, but it will be universal. Look at Revelation 14, verse 6. And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those that what? Dwell upon the earth to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So what have we seen in our first three facts? Fact number one, there will be a universal conflict at end time. That there will be two forces. The issue will be over worship. The forces of hell will be marshaled against the forces of righteousness to destroy them. Christ will triumph. But this will be something universal to the ends of the earth. Now let's look at fact number four. The battle of Armageddon. And we're going to spend most of our time studying that this morning. What is the battle of Armageddon? Where will the battle of Armageddon be fought? What relationship do ISIS have to that battle of Armageddon? And why might this be happening in the Middle East? Fact four, the battle of Armageddon climaxes human history at the end of the seven last plagues. Now, it actually commences in the sixth plague. So if you're going to understand Armageddon, one must understand fact number five, the five plagues that precede it. So fact four is the battle of Armageddon will climax human history. Facts 5 is, if you're going to understand Armageddon, you have to understand the seven last plagues. So we're going to take our Bibles and look at some surprising truths in these seven last plagues. Come to Armageddon in the sixth plague and try to unpack that for you this morning. And see how that relates to what's happening right now in our world. So we're going to Revelation chapter 15, and then we're going to look at Revelation chapter 16. Revelation 15. I saw another sign, verse 1, in heaven. Great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Why are these called the seven last plagues? Were there any plagues before this ever in the Bible? 
Egypt. How many were in Egypt? Ten. ten. Why ten in Egypt and seven here? The first three plagues in Egypt fell on the entire land. The last seven fell on the Egyptians. So here, these seven last plagues, none of them fall upon God's people. They only fall on the oppressors of evil. So it talks about the seven last plagues. Now notice it says, for in them the wrath of God is complete. What is the wrath of God in the Bible? Is God just venting out anger? And he, God says, I'm going to get those people. The wrath of God in the Bible are the judgments of God. So the seven last plagues are the judgments of God on those that have rebelled against his law, turned their back on his truth, and oppressed and persecuted his people. So they are the natural, logical judgments of God on evil. It is not that God is ever any less loving. But, you know, the Bible says, Whatsoever a man soweth, that or a woman soweth, that shall they also what? Reap. So there's the law of sowing and reaping. And when one turns from God and lives a life independent from God, there are certain fruits of God's judgment that they reap. And so the seven last plagues are the judgments of God. Now let's go and look at those plagues with new eyes. Where do you find the love of God in the seven last plagues? And where do you find righteousness through faith in Christ in the seven plagues? And what message might the seven last plagues have for you and me today? Revelation chapter 16, verse 2. We will never understand Armageddon until we understand the plague. So we're going to Revelation 16, verse 2. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, as a foul and loathsome sore came upon men that had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. So the first plague is this plague of boils from head to toe. Can you think of the ten plagues in Egypt? Were there any plagues in Egypt that were plagues of boils? Were there? So there was a boil plague in Egypt too, wasn't there? Let's go back and think about that plague. Were the plagues in Egypt arbitrary? Or did God have something behind each plague? Did God have a plan even in the type of plagues? Why do you think God would have a plague of boils on the Egyptians? The Egyptians for centuries had physically beaten and afflicted the bodies of the Israelites. So the physical plague of the boils was in response to the physical oppression upon the Israelites. Now... Who receives the plague of the loathsome, noisome sore and the boils, according to verse 2? Who does that? Look in your Bible. I want you to see. Those that worship the beast. And what did the enforcers of the mark of the beast do to believers? What did they do to them? They imprisoned them. They physically persecuted them. So what does the first plague say? All physical security is in Jesus Christ. There is no physical security outside of Jesus Christ. Because those enforcers of the mark of the beast said, if you do not take the mark of the beast, we will physically persecute you. So some people take the mark of the beast because they don't want to be physically persecuted. But there's a deeper message in the plagues. And what does it say? All physical security is in Christ. Can you think of anybody in the Bible that had boils from head to toe? Job. What lesson was God trying to teach him? that all physical security was where? 
in Christ. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Corinthians. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Corinthians. There may be deeper lessons in the plagues than we've seen before. The plagues are not some arbitrary judgments. But there's an appeal here in these plagues. Second Corinthians chapter 4. In the sickness of our life, in the suffering of our life, God wants to teach us now that all physical security is in Christ so that we do not sell out our faith cheap for physical security at end time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You're looking there at verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of what? Us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but we are not what, everybody? Forsaken. We are cast down, but we are not what? Destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Christ also may be manifest in our body. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart because the outward man is perishing. The inward person is being renewed day by day. What is the message of the first plague in the book of Revelation? When you are physically oppressed, when the body is raging with disease, trust Jesus Christ because all physical security is in Christ. Second plague, Revelation chapter 16. Revelation, the 16th chapter, verse 2. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living thing died in the sea. Was this a similar plague to Egypt? Did the rivers and waters become blood? And what happened? Egypt went through economic disaster. What would happen today if anything like this second plague happened? What if the sea became like the blood of a dead man. What if every living thing died in it? What would that do to the economy of the world? What would it do to the transportation of oil, for example? What would it do to the transportation of goods and food? There would be absolute economic disaster. So those who enforce the mark of the beast say, look, if you want to eat, you want to eat, take the mark of the beast. But upon those who receive the mark of the beast, there's absolutely economic disaster. But for... God's people, our bread and water are what? Sure. Our bread and water are sure. God says all true economic security is in Christ. You go down to the third plague. Rivers and waters become blood. And notice why it becomes blood, the rivers and waters. In the second plague, the sea becomes blood. But why does it become blood? The Bible tells you. It says, verse 6, they've shed the blood of saints and martyrs, therefore have given them what? But to drink. So what did they say? They say, okay, you want physical security? Take the mark of the beast. You want economic security? Take the mark of the beast. You want to protect your life? Take the mark of the beast. What does the first plague say? All physical security is in Christ. What does the second plague say? All economic security is in Christ. What does the third plague say? Our life is hid with God in Christ. For the Christian, the loss of our life is but a small thing. Because Jesus, the living Christ has given to us eternal life. And one day we can live with him forever. See, the plagues have deeper meaning than simply reading them on the surface. There is a spiritual appeal. Verse 8. 
the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given him to scorch with fire. Now notice verse 9 is the key to understanding verse 8. And the men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of the God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The word glory, where do you find the word glory in the book of Revelation, the 14th chapter? 14, 6. Fear God and give glory to him. Why? Because the hour of his judgment has come and do what? Worship him who made heaven and earth. Who's the one that made heaven and earth? Who is he? God. What's another name we call the one who made heaven and earth? Jesus. But he's a maker, so he must be a creator. You've got it now. So he is the creator. So worship the creator. So I give God glory by worshiping the creator. Has the creator had a special day? What's that called? The Sabbath. So when I come to worship on Sabbath, I'm giving God glory by worshiping him as the what everybody? Creator. But there will be a mark of the beast in force calling men and women to worship the Son, in object of worshiping the Creator, and so the fourth plague says all true worship is in Christ, and the object of their worship, the Son, scorches them. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget that you can find today's broadcast online at hopelives365.com. Survival is big business these days. People spend thousands of dollars on wilderness survival camps. They want to learn how to survive in light of all of these unprecedented natural disasters and the potential for nuclear attack. But there's one area that most people don't give much thought to, and that is spiritual survival. Pastor Mark's book, The Ultimate Survivor, will provide you with practical steps on how you can survive spiritually. And call right now to get that book. We'd love for you to have a copy. Don't forget that our prayer team is also available at that number 24-7 to pray with you. Join us again next time on Hope Lives 365. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.